If you're a health entrepreneur, coach, or practitioner that wants to turn your expertise into a high six or seven figure virtual business with less stress, so you can impact more people at a deeper level while making more money and enjoying a greater quality of life in the process, then the Health Printer Podcast is for you. I'm your host, Uriel Kame. I'm a former pro athlete, leading health expert, New York Times bestselling author, and the founder of Healthpreneur, where I help experts just like you create and fill high-end virtual coaching programs that create dream come true results for your clients. Now, for a free and in-depth training on how to do just that without manual prospecting, one-on-one coaching, or having to spend years building your online following, head on over to healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training and jump on to our seven-figure health business blueprint training today. And now, let's get to today's episode. Healthpreneurs, what's going on? Yuri here. Hope your day is going awesome. So welcome back to the show. We've got a really great episode for you today. Got a really cool guest on the show. Her name is Adrienne Nolan-Smith, and she is the founder of a really cool platform called GetWellBe.com. Now, in this episode, um, we're going to talk a little bit about some personal tragedies that happened to Adrienne that led her into doing what she's doing now, and I think it's a really inspiring story to... Um, to listen to because I think a lot of us can resonate with it. You know, she's gone through or two major traumas that that really led her to what she's doing now. But I'm sure in her story, you'll be able to see yourself in some way, shape, or form. Because most of us in the health space get into this field because of some type of challenge, trauma, issue that we dealt with when we were younger, and we simply wanted to solve that for ourselves or others. So this is going to be a really, really cool, inspiring episode. <clears throat> and let me give you a little bit of a background about uh, who Adrienne is, uh, sorry, Adrienne is. So again, she's a board-certified patient advocate, and we'll talk about what, what that is in this episode as well. And again, as I mentioned, she's the founder of GetWellBe.com, which is a media company aimed at bridging the gap between the wellness movement and the healthcare system. And she, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kind of ruin her backstory because I think she'll she'll share that. Uh, with us in this interview, but she went through some really big challenges when she was 12 and 13 years old. Something even more devastating happened to her when she was 25. And as a result of that, she really jumped into this field, but she actually spent several years working in healthcare technology with with hospitals so that she could kind of be on the front line of seeing what was happening with the medical system. Uh, she holds a BA from Johns Hopkins, and she did her MBA with uh, or from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. So with that said, let's bring Adrienne into the show, and let's jump into her story and how she's taken those challenges and turned it into a really great platform that is now helping a lot of people improve their health. Adrienne, welcome to the Healthpreneur Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Yuri. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. Thanks for joining me. I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show because you've been through some pretty cool things in your life, um, both you know good and bad, but I believe everything happens for us, not to us. So we can jump into some of that in a moment. But um, give, our, give our listeners a sense of, of, so you run a great website called getwellbe.com. Guys, check it out. It's really, really cool. What inspired you? Like, what was like, why 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 a website why not why not just you know a physical location to you know bring people in and help them with their health like why a website and what was like the impetus for for starting that up 
Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, there's so many different ways once you sort of have something that happens to you or somebody that you love, or just when you sort of realize that there's a different way to approach health and that most people are doing it quite differently and struggling with a lot of things. And once you realize that you, you know, really want to help people as you do, and I'm sure all of your listeners and um, that happened to me. And I was thinking a lot about the fact that there's so many different ways to approach that. Like, as you mentioned, you could actually have patients um, or start, you know, a, a store or a restaurant and have clients that way. Um, you can do consulting. There's just corporate wellness. There's so the wellness industry has so much going on. Um, but, you know, I have to say, I, I didn't ever feel like science and math were really my I didn't want to have to go back to school and deal with that. <laughs> um, I'm decent at math, but science, whoa, not really. Um, and so I thought, wow, if I actually was going to see patients or have a physical location where I sold a product, um, I'd be able to touch people in that way. But I thought maybe if I could touch people with stories and really show that there were experts who were not weird or crazy or hippie or crunchy or whatever all these stigmas are that people have of the integrative health world and the wellness world and movement, um, that they could see themselves in that experience and um, perhaps start to change and be a bit more open-minded as to the way that they live every day. And also when they do have health issues, how they could approach those with the right care team so that they could really get to the root cause of the problems and maybe see different kinds of practitioners that had helped me like naturopaths and herbalists and, um, you know, uh, acupuncturists and all of that, which to a large part of the certainly American population seems sort of off limits culturally. And it's a bit stigmatized still. And, you know, certainly the insurance system makes that the case. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, I wanted to start with content. And I knew that that would, you know, mean I would be uh, spending a bit more than I was making in the beginning. But um, I thought that would be the best way to approach getting to a large audience um, and then understanding what those people who really attracted to the kinds of things that I was talking about and the kinds of content and stories that I was making, um, what they really needed on top of that from me. Um, so yeah, that was my, that was my thought process. Awesome. So talk to me about or walk me through two things. Number one, uh, you did your MBA. You got all that great business background, which is something I think a lot of our listeners don't have. I mean, there might be a few, but most people just kind of like jump into business. So how does how does having that background, how does that how has that helped you in what you're doing right now? And second, uh, you're also a board certified patient advocate. I've never heard that before. What exactly is that? Yes. So it's a pretty new um, board certification. Well, let me talk about the MBA thing first. So yeah. it was sort of an interesting um, for the people listening who don't know the background of my story and why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's a it's a long story. But the major catalyst was that I lost my mom to suicide um, in December 2010 when she after about a five year battle that she'd had in and out of different mental healthcare or sorry, different mental hospitals, um, for, you know, extended inpatient stays as she'd had a couple of different manic episodes and they had diagnosed her with schizoaffective disorder and put her on lots of very, very heavy, um, antipsychotics and antidepressants, which as you know, kind of makes you into 
a bit of a zombie. So um, when she took her life, it was just a few days before Christmas. And um, it was also two weeks before I was a, uh, my applications for business school were due. And anybody who's done this process knows it's almost a two-year process because you have to study for the GMAT, which is pretty difficult to get into business school for gosh, almost a year <laughs> and then, uh, you know, get recommendations from your employer and gather everything that you need from your undergrad experience. And so I'd worked really hard to try to get in. And the reason for going was that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was working at IBM and didn't think that was really my calling. And the health stuff for me, the integrative health and wellness stuff for my life had always been just sort of a hobby or things that I was doing because of things that had happened to me. And you know, I was that friend in my group of friends that everyone went to and kind of made fun of too for the way that I ate and all the supplements that I took and all the weird, you know, quote unquote, weird practitioners I always went to. Um, and so, I, you know, it wasn't really until this experience that I thought, wow, this is a disaster, this healthcare system. And um, when I really gave my mom into, you know, really trusted the conventional healthcare system with her care and her life was when it failed me the most. And when I only kind of trusted it, you know, halfway and really took things into my own hands is when I was able to have great success with my health, um, which was being uh, cured of chronic Lyme disease as a middle schooler. And then later, um, you know, getting my period back, which is called amenorrhea after two years of not having it all through natural processes and, you know, avoiding the birth control pill and all that. And so, um, Oh, and like, you know, small IBS issues and other things, which aren't that small, you know, in the long run, but compared to the other things that I'd gone through, they, they, they didn't seem that big. So at that exact moment, I told myself that I would dedicate the rest of my life to trying to transform the healthcare system to one that was really more root cause driven and that approached the entire process of chronic disease, um, with wellness and integrative health in mind and really only going to, you know, what I call the nuclear weapons of the healthcare system, which are, um, you know, drug surgeries and radiation in emergency and acute situations. Um, cause from a long-term perspective, both with mental illness and with chronic physical illness, it's just not really a solution, right? It's just band-aiding symptoms. And so, um, I got the MBA because I basically, you know, really prayed to her and to anyone that was listening to get me through to at least finishing one or two of these applications. I had set out to do four or five, um, and then use that as the opportunity to switch career paths and work to fix the healthcare system. And so when I got into the Kellogg school at Northwestern in Chicago that March, it was really felt predestined, like, okay, she helped me get in. I'm going to have to go, even though it was you know, moving away from my family just six months after she died to a place I didn't know anybody um, and really doing everything I could while I was there to learn what I needed to learn to make this happen. And it's a long-winded way of saying the MBA did not really help me that much in what I'm doing right now because uh, it definitely helped me to get a job in healthcare technology and work with hospitals for three years after I got out. But that was very much in the conventional healthcare system. So I was able to see exactly what I thought was wrong, actually proven to be as wrong as I thought. Sure. <laughs> um, so that was good. But, you know, traditional MBA programs, it's changing a lot now, but I know this sounds ridiculous, but sort of before Instagram became what it is today and 
digital marketing, you know, it, it was really only about desktop digital marketing and Google driven digital marketing, right? And so SEO and SEM and, you know, having a product and putting an ad on Google and hoping people see it and come to your website. And so I learned as much as I could about that sort of thing. But I was also forced to spend a lot of my time learning about really traditional business. And maybe later in my life, it will come uh, back to be very helpful. But, you know, sort of factory operations and corporate financial accounting and things that are pretty different from, you know, running a small business and understanding email and social marketing and things like that. So I would say I had to do a lot of, I had to basically give myself an MBA in a very different, um, you know, time in the last year, year and a half that I've been doing this full time. Um, but certainly I believe as you do that everything happened for a reason and I would never be where I am today had I not made that decision and gone when I did, because, you know, maybe I would have sort of let the grief and the loss overtake me and just stay at IBM for a long time and not follow any dreams. And I maybe, you know, would have felt stuck like I was too far along to fully switch and all of that. So that's the MBA piece. Board certified patient advocate is actually a certification that was only given for the first time in early 2018. So I was part of the first crop that actually sat for the board exam. And I did so because I had learned about it and sort of followed it for years that they were trying to establish this as a, a real um, role and have it, you know, it's slightly different from health coaching in the sense that patient advocates really have to understand how to interact with the healthcare system, which from having worked in it, and especially with hospitals, I was pretty familiar with, um, but really also it, like understand what people, all the different treatment options that somebody could have and sort of open their eyes and show them the different options so that they don't feel like, you know, they went to one doctor and the one doctor said this and that's what they have to do because it's, you know, part of their insurance or whatever it might be and try to figure out other ways that they could heal. And, you know, certainly the people that, um, you know, if I'm if I'm ever using it in a professional capacity, in a coaching capacity, or being hired by private clients, which at the moment I'm a little too busy with Wellby to do, but um, I might. Uh, it would be you know people that really are interested in a sort of a natural first approach or getting to the root cause of health, and therefore being more integrative in their approach, whether that's with MDs or other kinds of practitioners. And so I'd be able to sort of navigate and speak on their behalf if they didn't feel empowered to do so about what they need and what they're really, you know, what they're, what they're, you know, you, you hear about the term a birth plan for, mm -hmm. for women. Um, and I think that everyone who's going through a chronic health issue should have a care plan. And it's not something that a doctor, one doctor gives to a patient. It's what the patient really wants and can go and shop different doctors and see who agrees with that um, care plan and who really will strive to find that root cause. And when needed, you know, use those nuclear weapons. Um, that is, you know, important tool to have in the tool belt. Um, but if somebody fundamentally disagrees with the way that you would like to approach your life and your health and healing, that's really not a doctor that, you know, I think you should have to deal with. And so finding the right people who are going to really respect your life and your care plan um, and heal you is um, really important. So I think that's really part of why the patient advocacy uh, certification was put together and why I ended up 
you know, sitting for the the board exam. I did it before too much of my health tech and healthcare conventional healthcare knowledge left me, um, which was great. So a lot of the details that I had to learn about some of the more intricate parts of the Medicaid and Medicare system were still fresh at the mm-hmm. top of my mind. That's awesome. No, it makes a lot of sense now that you explain it because we actually, it's funny, we had a client, we have a client who uh, one of our workshops a couple months ago was talking about, so she's a naturopathic doctor and what she was really passionate about was being that kind of middle person between the patient and the caregiver. So she, and we we're talking about like, yeah, like kind of like a cancer advocate. And that's kind of the term we came up with uh, in, in that session. And I didn't even know about the fact that there was like, you know, the certification, which is um, kind of what you're talking about, which is amazing. Because I do think that a lot of patients are, are in a position where they're not given all the facts, or maybe they're not in a position of true power to make the best decisions for themselves. And I think it's amazing that having people like you now that are certified to be that kind of middle person can be huge in helping them make the right decisions moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think cancer is kind of where this came from, it's the most extreme example of somebody who is at a place where they now have to very quickly enter the healthcare system and interact with a ton of different kinds of providers and treatments. And there's so many different approaches to cancer treatment, even based on, you know, the kind of cancer, but also the stage and what you're interested in trying and what you're willing to do. Um, because of course, everything also has downsides if you're, you know, in intensive chemo, like there's a lot of problems with that. So, um, but that might be exactly what you want or you really don't want. And so, uh, cancer is a a really important example. And I think that probably pushed this along to become, you know, a proper board certification. Um, but I think that that could be the case even in trying to figure out, you know, why, you know, why you have a low thyroid or, um, why you have migraines or why you have IBS or any of these things where there's a lot of different reasons that could be happening and a lot of different kinds of, a lot of different opinions based on the, the caregiver or the practitioner or provider, um, what it might be and what the best approach is for that. And yes. so, you know, you could get, if you're not a nerd like me and really <laughs> excited about research and enjoy doing that, you could get really overwhelmed. And yet it's almost like, they can sniff it out if you don't know how to understand and read research and understand and advocate for all of the options and what you want. And so if there's somebody who's willing to sort of do that for you or doesn't mind kind of being firm with um, providers, they will maybe kind of do what's easiest for them or fastest for them or um, what they know right? Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work when doctors have to see patients all day in the fee-for-service system to go and research something maybe a little bit more experimental, a little bit different. And so a lot of times what I've seen is you have to bring things to them. And that's really hard to do if you don't know how to read research, if you don't understand the difference between, you know, an observational study or double-blind clinical trial and, you know, causal or association and all this kind of thing. And so you need somebody who's going to be comfortable speaking that language. And, uh, and I think that's why the patient advocate was, as a, as a certification was born, whether it's for cancer or, you know, anything else. Yeah. Well, you, so you had Lyme disease when you were very young. Um, had you had some type of patient advocate at the time, do you think that would have facilitated, maybe expedited the healing process? Because, I mean, amazingly, so you healed from Lyme disease when you were 13 years old. But how long before that were you diagnosed with Lyme? 
So I was diagnosed about two years before I would say that my symptoms really started to dissipate and it seemed like I was, you know, better. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I'm sure, I don't know how much you know about Lyme, but the testing is super challenging and inaccurate. And so you kind of always, uh, my Lyme is inactive, um, but there's no like you have it or you don't test. There's like these bands and, you know, like a fault it says like there's an initial marker, it's somewhere in you, but then it says it's inactive. I think similar to, to herpes actually, mm-hmm. um, or Epstein-Barr. Uh, so there's like an exposure and then an actual active disease. So um, they don't, we never saw a bullseye and we never, my mom was really an incredible patient advocate, very fierce. And definitely the, the reason that I am better today um, is because she was such a avid researcher and really took, you know, every possible opinion on earth and kept going to different people and never really gave up and just said, okay, well, let's just do this or whatever. It was like an endless fight. And of course, when you're in middle school, that means you're getting dragged around to a million doctors and practitioners and you're just exhausted by it on top of having Lyme, which makes you exhausted. Um, but it was really the way to do it because, um, all these different approaches, it's very hard to say exactly what worked, but I did so many different things and something worked and, you know, I got better after two years, but, um, we don't know if I had Lyme for about a year or maybe two or maybe three years before I was actually diagnosed. Um, it was definitely more than six months because we did try the doxycycline antibiotics protocol, which is what you can do to actually, you know, most people would say you can heal acute Lyme that way. Um, but since that didn't work, that showed them that it had been in me long enough to kind of, you know, now it could skirt around where the antibiotics would be able to find it. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, it's it's such a debilitating disease. I mean, I, unfortunately, I know a lot of people who have it now, and it's um, actually one of our team members. He's been sidelined for almost three years now. And the problem is that they didn't know what it was for so long. And it's almost turned into one of those diseases that's like, well... We can't figure it out. It's it must be Lyme or something of that of that nature, and it's um it's kind of, it's it's scary. I mean, considering that there's so, so much more diagnosis available now, that there's just more, um, I guess prevalence of it compared to you know maybe twenty or thirty years ago. But what did you learn about yourself in terms of like your mentality? Because I mean, you going through Lyme is is obviously challenging. You lost your mother when you were twenty five. What are what are the how did you grow as a person during those different episodes? Yeah. Um, well, they were pretty different, I think, because, um, I was being led, you know, when I'm 11 to 13 going through that, um, she was really in charge and getting me the care and really felt responsible and all of that. And I was just kind of going around and doing the things I was told and kind of pushing back a bit because who wants to take, you know, Chinese herbal teas that smell terrible to school, you know, people are like, what on earth and eating all these weird things and a million supplements and all this stuff. But, um, oh gosh, I even spent three weeks one summer, um, when I was in the healing process in a hyperbaric oxygen therapy center in Amish country, Pennsylvania, you know, just staying in a motel with my mom and my brother, who was also very sick at the time, long, long story for another time. But, um, that was brutal. And same with, you know, trying uh, a different treatment in Minnesota, 
the previous summer for uh, many weeks. So that was more like, oh man, this is a drag, but you know, I'll do it because I can't remember anything and I'm so tired. That was basically the two major things for me that showed me I was so sick. Um, I had like no energy, couldn't get up, do anything, needed to sit down all the time, slept so much. And the experience of my mom getting, having this manic episode when I was 20 and then being uh, you know, in this really intensive, horrible situation for the five five years until her she took her life. Uh, that was more me having to be, you know, a caretaker and understanding when I was needed and needed to be the adult. And that that's very different. And so, you know, there's a lot more. You feel a lot more responsibility and guilt when things don't work out, and um, or that you don't feel you're there enough, and 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 also more anger because you realize, you know, uh, gosh, I'm, I'm calling these doctors, I'm asking for these things and they're not really getting back to me or they're not taking it very seriously, or they don't consider this to be kind of an emergency until it's over. And then they don't take responsibility either. Right. You're not gonna like, Oh, we're sorry that happened. But you know, a lot of the drugs that they put her on have suicidal ideations and depression as a side effect. And so, you know, shouldn't that be something that they should take responsibility for, but no, that's not really how it works. So, um, I would say growing as a person for me was just, uh, realizing that, you know, things are going to happen in your life and that you need, no matter what role you played or whatever, you need to be able to shed this sense of, I should have, I could have, I, you know, and kind of rehashing, playing back things in your mind that you can't change because it's really toxic and inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, there's just no, there's no good, uh, there's no good that comes of that. And you can't progress in your life if you kind of hang on things. And so whether that's with illness or with business, you know, there, there's going to be so many mistakes. Oh my gosh. In just the last year that the launch will be or 13 months, so many things I would have, you know, done differently or didn't know at the time or would have done from the beginning and wasted, you know, money on this or that. But it's, there's just really no, no good that comes of thinking that way. And you should just really focus on, wow, I'm glad I figured that out. And I'm glad I'm doing things with, you know, the money that are smarter now, or I'm glad I'm growing in this area that was stagnant for the first six months or, um, found this great person. And even though that meant that I had, you know, somebody on my team that, you know, wasn't this person for a while, like, oops, but you know, it doesn't matter. You have to just kind of move on. And I think the way that you can do that is both obviously working in your own head, but getting things out and talking to people so that they can show you, you know, you're not to blame or guilt doesn't do anything, or they would want you to, you know, be happy or whatever it might be. So sure. two very different ways that I grew, but both really, um, really important and powerful. Yeah, that's great. So speaking of some of these, you know, knowing what you know now type of uh, type of experiences in from the kind of inception of the business what is i guess one really glaring i don't want to call it a mistake let's call it a learning a challenge an obstacle that knowing what you know now you would have approached things a bit differently uh with that type of hindsight yeah oh man just one <laughs> just one i know um, it's like every every day there's something right i know it really is um well, I would say that, you know, when you're trying to build something from scratch, there's really, 
no way to do it without getting other people to help you, as I'm sure you know, and um, and people who really you know know what they're doing. But at the same time, it's really important to fundamentally get what is happening, even if it's development and code and stuff like that that you don't really understand, um, because if it's you know I my site was built completely incorrectly the first time. And now I've had to go on to two or three other developers to try to get it, you know, fixed and pay for that work. And, um, it was, couldn't have been slower because of the way that they built it when it first launched. And so, you know, a launch is a really big opportunity. And I still, again, don't have any regrets because you just have to move along and, you know, you can fix things, but, um, you know, outsourcing too much to people either on your team or freelancers or whatever it might be, if you don't fundamentally understand it so that you can sort of oversee it and catch things as they happen, things can get really far away from you. And then if you have, let's say, somebody on your team who's been really responsible for one thing, but they're not necessarily the best fit for, for you or the business. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, then when you might need to make a switch if they have been doing something that you know nothing about, and let's say you had to do it yourself for a couple of weeks or a couple of months until you found a better fit, you might not be able to, or you definitely can't. And so you feel, you know, a bit panicked or a bit tied to them. And that could be a really toxic situation. And so I think having, especially when you're starting out and such a small business, everything that you're doing, um, having an understanding of, of how to do it, um, even if somebody's helping you with it so that you don't feel not in control of the things that are really crucial to your business. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. It's important, I think, to have that fundamental and overview of basic understanding of, you know, the different elements of your business. Because as you said, if you delegate too much, and I've seen this so many times, especially in the health space where you have this expert, naturopath, a doctor, a chiro, whoever they are, they're like, I just want to teach. I just want to share my content. I don't want to worry about the marketing. And they partner up with some marketing team or a marketing person. And then that person leaves or their business kind of goes haywire and they, they separate. And now they've lost arguably the most important part of their business, which is marketing. And it's, you know, whether it's, you know, coding of the website or basic understanding of customer service stuff, at the end of the day, we are the CEO or the, the, the visionary, the owner of our business. We have to have a general understanding of the different components because, as you mentioned, it's uh it's not good if things go south. And plus, you might get taken for a ride. I mean, if, if you have a, a developer quoting you X number of dollars for a website and you're like, well, I know better than that. That's insane. You have a better understanding of you know what to do. So no, that's a great that's a great learning and great insight that I think our listeners will get some some really good value from. Yeah. And I'll just one more thing yeah. to add to that, um, especially people that see patients or teach, um, but want to have content because it's important as a acquisition tool or because they think that, you know, what they're talking about is important for people to know if they're outsourcing that too much, or for example, a lot of my business is now on Instagram, a lot of my audience. And so at first, you know, I, I'd had somebody on my team who was from the writing and editorial space and was therefore writing a lot of, um, things for the site and also, we were sort of doing it together, but there was, en it was separate enough from my, or she had enough influence that my voice and kind of the things that I thought were really, really, really important for people to know. And there's so many voices out there that if your voice is even a fraction off or the voice you're putting out there is even a fraction off from your voice, then people can sniff that out, that that's not really 
a hundred percent you, or they're just not clicking with it because there's so many other voices out there. So then you might just become another, you know, self magazine or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, prevention.com or what, you know, it could be anything. And so when I started really taking control of what I was, every piece of thing that I was putting out there, whether it was, you know, what we were writing for the site or, um, or the captions for all of my social posts, things really, you know, it's a cop, a combination of, of factors, but that was really like the hockey stick for my growth. And it just made me realize that you have to be so true to yourself and like good enough for a caption is actually not good enough. Um, because you have, it has to be something that you feel like this is great. This is exactly what I would say. And this is exactly what I'm feeling today. And that's why I'm putting this out there. Um, and people really picked up on that more than I realized that they would. So a voice in branding and in marketing is so, so crucial to yep. stand out in this space because there's just so much noise. It's huge. I mean, I, well, I talk about with this with our audience. I mean, like marketing is sharing your beliefs. Like it's, you know, if you're not sharing your voice, if you're not sharing your perspective on what it is you're bringing to the world, you're not going to stand out, as you said. And, and, I, and I really believe that just as the message is important, the messenger is just as important. And I think it's important for because a lot of people come into this space and they feel like they've got a thousand pound gorilla on their back, which is con- too much competition. And I, and I agree that there is too much competition if you do what everyone else does. But if, you know, like you said, the hockey stick, that inflection point in your business was when you started sharing your voice, that's when people connect with us. Like that's when you will find your tribe of people. And it doesn't matter who else is sharing what they're sharing because the right people will resonate with your message. And that's, I'm happy you brought that up because I completely agree with you on that. That's so important. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And I had been spending money on other marketing tools and just stopped all of that and yeah. just really focused on making sure that every single, you know, post that went out felt really like what I was feeling or thinking that day and stuff that I re- thought was really important to share. And once I did that, it was, it was wild. Like it just, it made such a difference. Yeah, oh, and, and, think- and images that I thought were really beautiful. Images are such a, a piece of it. You know, just a generic image of anything. Mm-hmm. Don't use it. You know, you have to feel like, oh, this is really my look and feel. This is super beautiful to me. Like I would, you know, like this image on Instagram or I would like open this article because this just really resonates with me if it's in my email or whatever. And then it's amazing. Just people can feel that third party um, like it, you know, like if you love it, Somehow, even if they're not just like you, they're going to feel that and be like, "Ooh, I like this branding. Yeah, no, it's great. It's so, I mean, social media has changed the way the, the game is played, guys. If you're not, you have to be native to social. You can't be just promoting nonsense and plugging stuff that you don't, is not congruent with you. Um, and even if you're advertising, we do a lot of Facebook advertising. We teach our clients, you know, how to deploy that stuff for themselves too. And a lot of what we do and teach is very different from the traditional you know, type of advertising advice that's been given over the years because, you know, stuff on Facebook or Instagram where, you know, you've got your logo in the image and and an image of your products, people don't care about that anymore. I'd say it's so, we've seen so many ads and we've seen so many offers that we become blind to things and you have to really fit in, blend in to stand out is our philosophy. And I agree, like, you know, using those types of images that are, that are true to you or that would be something you would naturally post in your own profile like these are the types of things that people are going to resonate with. And if you're listening to this and you're trying to do things that are, you know, trying to shortcut <laughs> the system, it's it's not going to work. So uh, 
take this take this message to heart if you're listening to this because um, it is important. So Adrian, this has been really really insightful, really awesome. Thank you so much for sharing uh, what you shared so far. Before we get into the rapid five, where can everyone follow you online? Um, thank you, Yuri. Um, I would say first and foremost, our um, we're most active on Instagram. So Instagram.com slash getwellbe. It's G-E-T-W-E-L-L-B-E. Um, and then if you're not on Instagram, we also are active on Facebook, but we would love to have you as part of our community of newsletter subscribers. We send out a weekly newsletter with our newest original content and any other, you know, announcements like this podcast would be in there um, and other research and stuff that we we dissect. So um, that uh, is just getwellbe.com. And then you can just easily subscribe to the newsletter from there. So those are the kind of the two best places I think to be part of our community is really Instagram and our, and our newsletter. Awesome. It's so cool that almost everyone uses Instagram as their main social platform. It's not like Facebook is not even part of the discussion anymore. It's, <laughs> it's so interesting. Yeah. I think it's, I don't know what it is, but you know, I, I, that was a big part of why I ended up just jumping off the cliff and, you know, leaving my job and help tech to do this because I saw this amazing community evolving in the integrative and functional medicine space on Instagram where I could actually interact with people who felt like me, but also my doctors that I admired were on there actively. And, you know, we could message and comment and nowhere else have I seen that. And I just thought that was so neat. And so I knew that if I wanted to talk about this movement and this, you know, and be in this space that it had to really be on Instagram. Yeah. And it helps if you actually get organic reach. I think Facebook, you know, you post something, no one sees it. It's not really enticing for for many people to do anything on right. Facebook. It's wild how little um, how 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 little people actually get to see the things that we put yeah. on Facebook versus versus Instagram. It's and yeah, it's just wild. Yeah. I don't know why they've done that, but anyway, they want us to pay to play. That's probably why. So right, and I'm very stubborn now because I've been seeing good growth without paying. So I'm I know it's, <laughs> it's willing yeah. to do it. <laughs> totally. Well, anyways, well, let's get to the rapid five. I want to I want to dig into this. So five rapid fire questions. Whatever comes top of mind is probably the right answer. Um, so you ready? Yep. All right. Here we go. Number one. What is your biggest weakness? Probably I get overwhelmed easily and self-doubt. Well, I don't think anyone can relate to that. So you're all alone on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number two, what is your biggest strength? I would say connecting with people and being really passionate about my mission and that I think people feel that and get on board um, in a way that I never really expected. And I've been really uh, so touched and surprised by how many people have reached out to say that I've sort of touch something in them that they've never felt before. Awesome. Good for you. And number three, what's one skill you've become dangerously good at in order to grow your business? Ooh. Oh gosh. One skill I've been dangerously good at. Or have had to develop. I've had to develop. Well, um, I go to a ton of events. I'm in New York City and I go to a ton of conferences and panels, at least one a week, I would say. Sometimes, you know, on full weekend days or two full days or whatever it might be. Um, And I just try to talk to everybody on earth who might be there and try to, you know, live blog a lot of really great and interesting information for our Instagram audience and our Instagram stories. 
And so many incredible relationships and opportunities have come out of doing that. But it's really, you know, hustling. Like there are days I don't feel at all like going to something from 630 to 830. That's a conference or a panel or a workshop or a whatever after work. And I'm just totally beat. But I sort of force myself and um, that's been really rewarding. So I think it's a skill that I've become pretty good at is just talking to anybody, not feeling awkward about it, going up to people, just saying like, hi, what are you doing here? Like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it's it's been great. I've gotten, it's just so much easier to connect with another, you know, brand or somebody who can help you or influence or whatever it might be, if they can meet you in person and see that, you know, you're not a weirdo and you're just trying right. to help people and grow. And um, it, it, yeah. That's been great. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That was the biggest catalyst in my business for sure. Uh, number four, what do you do first thing in the morning? So I don't want to say that this is a seven day a week thing because I think that when I hear about people's morning routines, it, there's just no way that a lot of them are realistic. So I like to help show that not we're not all perfect doing I've the got a perfect thing in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm like, that's just, there's no way that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so most mornings um, these days in the last, I'd say six months or so, um, I've been trying to get up and get out the door. Uh, well, I drink water with some lemon juice and take a probiotic. That's the first thing I do. Um, and then I try to get up and get out the door to the Hudson River, which is pretty close to my apartment, um, and just get that sunshine and get, you know, do like a five to 10 minute kind of like yoga and stretching routine on the grass. And then if I can fit it in also do like a 10 minute or five to 10 minute, uh, I strive for 10, um, meditation routine as well out there, uh, sort of looking at the water. And the reason for that being like, there's so many different things that we know about being outside and on grass and, um, you know, in nature and especially sunshine early in the morning that just is so therapeutic as a human on a basic level or, you know, just a mammal um, that even I think a lot of people don't quite understand how important it is and just to walk and move my body. So it's at least a 20 minute kind of walk round trip. And I think that just sets me off on such a better path of the day. Um, you know, if it's a, if I have a, don't sleep well, or, you know, I have to rush and do something that I don't get to do that whole, you know, 45 minute thing, but, um, that's what I've been doing lately. And I think it's just making a huge difference. So I would advocate for first thing in the morning, moving, getting some sunlight and, you know, doing stretching, um, and you'll feel so much better doing everything else. That's great. Awesome advice. And finally, Complete the sentence. I know I'm being successful when? I know I'm being successful when I hear from people about some of the nuances that I wasn't sure other people could really see or get about what I'm trying to do. And when they really nail it and then they feel um, compelled to write into the website or on to Instagram or come up to me at you know one of our events or panels. I think, wow, okay, this was something that I thought was a bit subconscious and they are really, really getting it. And that means that I'm at least doing something right. Um, and then the other piece is when I don't feel so stressed and overwhelmed that I don't know the path. Like I know I'm doing something right when all the goals are clearly laid out in front of me and I can feel a sense of calm about them because I know they're the right ones in my gut um, versus just like doing a million different tasks a day and thinking like, is this really progressing me to something? Um, and that I think has made a huge difference for me really just 
feeling that gut confidence that I have a handle on what I'm trying to do and do the things that are really only related to those goals. Awesome. That's great. There we go, guys. Adrian, thank you so much for taking this time for joining us today, for, for opening up, for sharing your journey. And I know there's obviously so much more that we haven't uncovered, but guys, uh, make sure you follow her on Instagram, GetWellB, and obviously register or sign up for the newsletter over at GetWellB.com. And we will link up to that in the show notes for you guys as well. Um, Adrian, once again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me, Yuri. So I hope you found this interview inspiring. And the message that I want to leave you with today is that your story matters. The, the, the journey that you've been on or are currently going through really does matter. And if you can use that and leverage it in a positive way to be able to create solutions for other people, that's awesome. And that's really why we're all here. That's why I don't believe there's any competition because you have a unique message, you as a messenger are unique, and the goal is to be you, do you, because everyone else is taken, right? As soon as we start copying other people and trying to emulate what they're doing, now we lose our authenticity. And, and yes, there is a balance between modeling what's working and being yourself, but it's really important to share your voice, share your beliefs, and really you know, don't hold back, like really share some of those, those more vulnerable moments from your life, the things that have allowed you to get where you are now, uh, both good and bad, because those are the things that are going to help people really bond to you. And as Adrian talked about in this episode, when she started doing more of that, sharing her voice on Instagram, her Instagram following really took off. And so I think that's a really cool microcosm of what happens at a bigger level with a business or a brand where you simply just share who you are and more of the authentic voice of that brand. So my take-home message is that there really is no competition if you're being you and you're really highlighting the uniqueness of your business. At the end of the day, remember, we're all in business to create outcomes, results for the people we serve. It's not about giving them a thousand videos and doing a bunch of different stuff. It's about helping them achieve an outcome. And when you compare that, when you pair that getting the outcome for your client with your ability to share your unique voice, that's a really great recipe for success. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember to subscribe to the podcast at Healthpreneur Podcast on iTunes. I just about forgot what it was called. And if you'd like more support and really helping take your health business to the next level, uh, I'd recommend you watch our seven-figure health business blueprints. It's a free online webinar training It'll take you about 70 minutes to get through, and I promise you it'll be 70 of the best minutes you've spent on your business, really giving you some big insights about what you should avoid, what you should be doing more of, and really the new way of building a successful business online in 2018 and beyond without having to become a quote-unquote internet marketer in the process. So the website to check that out at is healthpreneurgroup.com forward slash training. That's all for today, my friends. Hope you have a great one and I'll see you in the next one.